Chapter 12 of The Gargoyle by Greya Lespina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Chapter 12 Cogliostro to the Rescue. Sybil, the master needs you. Alden whirled to confront the black clad figure of Madame Fane, whose dark eyes rested with superb disdain upon the wrinkled face of the devoted nurse. Sybil, do not go whispered Alden tremulously, twitching at the girl's sleeve. Madame Fane spoke again imperiously. "'Sybil, your lover lies in the chapel across Lucifer's altar. Will you leave him there alone?' "'Luke in Lucifer's chapel?' cried the dazed and horrified girl, her pansy purple eyes roving from one woman to the other. "'He lies on the altar, Sybil,' repeated Madame Fane grimly. "'Do you intend to leave him there?' The veiled significance of her words pounded into Alden's whirling brain. "'My darling, my lamb, don't believe her. Don't go,' she implored. Sybil drew her arm away from her nurse with dignity and decision. Her pale face grew whiter, but she stepped to Madame Vane's side. "'Alden, if he isn't there, tell him at once that I have gone to find him,' she murmured. "'If he is—oh, no, I won't believe that my cousin could be so vile, so wicked.' Aunt, I am coming. Before the agonized Alden could detain her, the girl had swung down to the corridor after the swiftly retreating figure of Madame Fane, and their footsteps died away into silence. Alden would have run after them, but her thoughts went suddenly to the little occultist waiting outside the castle walls. If only she could devise a way to get him inside, perhaps he might be able to cope with Guy Fane. Alden knew that she alone would be helpless for she stood in horror of what she might see if the master were once to lift that protecting veil. She ran to the wall and looked down. The headlights of Luke's car were on, and to judge by their position, the car stood near the drawbridge. Alden leaned over and called softly, Mr. Benny. At once she discerned the little man's squat figure as he ran in front of the car so that she could see him and called back, Who is it? Alden, Mr. Benny. Listen. Her voice cut through the whispering dusk sharply. Mr. Porter is lying on the altar in the chapel. A husky intake of breath from below apprised her that Cagliostro had heard. And Miss Fane has been called there too. I can do nothing alone. The little figure moved away from the car and close to the edge of the moat, the black waters of which were troubled by swirling things that passed across where it gleamed somberly in the car's illumination. Mrs. Alden? If you have anything to make a rope of, I can catch one end of it and you can fasten the other securely up where you are. Then I can manage to swing across the moat. Oh, I can fix something with sheets, called back Alden eagerly. Get in, I must, declared the occultist, ominous grimness in his voice. There's devil's work going on in that chapel, and we must make haste. If I can get there in time, I may be able to help those poor young things, finished Cagliostro, his voice breaking. I'll be back in five minutes. Alden rushed down the corridor to the linen closets and secured a number of sheets. It seemed a century before she had torn and knotted them to make a rope of sufficient length to go. She hoped to cross the moat. As Madame Fane unlocked supplies of linen only for each day, Alden was unable to get enough to her dismay. For when she had fastened one end to the parapet and had flung the other out across the moat, the occultist could not reach it. 
There it hung, barely touching the surface of the murky water that seemed to mock it, both would-be rescuers with a thousand twinkling evil eyes. She hauled in the improvised rope, gathered it into a bunch, and tossed it out again. Cagliostro, springing to catch at it just as it fell short of his grasp, slipped and almost fell into the moat. "'Oh, what shall we do?' lamented Alden, trembling with sick apprehension as the precious moment slipped by. "'You... you wouldn't dare to risk?' Cagliostro grasped the thought that she had hardly dared put into words. He could drop into the moat and swim across to where that rope hung dabbling in the black water. His flesh crept shudderingly on his bones as he bent down to inspect the slimy surface of that repulsive, viscid liquid. As he leaned over, something shining writhed out of the blackness and across the light from the car headlights, something that glistened with a nasty slipperiness that struck nausea to his stomach. He caught his breath with a quick gasp of repugnance. Was there no other way? His gaze swept the steep and slippery sides of the moat. If it should happen that he could not pull himself out of the water up to that knotted rope of sheets, or if the knots should give way, or if Alden had not fastened the other end securely, he would slip back, and a horrible death inevitably awaited. His body would fester in the deeps of that stagnant slime and the things that flourished in it, as vile as its waters would feed upon his shrinking flesh and picket his bones. "'Have you decided?' pleaded Alden. Oh, every minute is precious. Will you try? You don't happen to know which switch on the switchboard in the master's study controls the workings of the draw, do you? countered the shuddering Herbert Benny. He explained some of them to me, but I am not sure now that I know which one to tell you. And if you touch the wrong one, you will open trap doors all over the castle. And another one lights a five-minute fuse to a powder cache that would send Fainwald into the air in ruins. Alden moaned and wrung her wrinkled hands frantically. "'I've seen it, but I don't know which switch would be right. "'Oh, can't you?' "'Good Lord!' ejaculated the little man piously. "'Alden, I'm going to swim the moat.' "'Don't make any more commotion than you can help,' warned the woman ominously. "'The, the things would surround you at once. "'I've seen doves, and once a lamb floating, half-devoured.' Herbert Benny dared not hear more. He took off his shoes and discarded his coat. Then he dropped quietly over the edge of the moat and slipped gently down into the black water. Ugh! How coldly, how hungrily it closed about him. With an effort, he managed to keep his face above the slimy surface. With shrinking strokes, he struck out for the castle wall from which dangled the sheet rope. The water about him seemed alive with evil things, foul things, venomous things. He could feel the stirring of that evil life as he shot through the turbid waters. Once his hand touched something that slithered across it hastily, leaving him with a sickening nausea. Every moment he expected to feel the fangs of some unknown and hideous reptile fasten and throat her arm. At last the final stroke. He caught quickly at the drabbled end of the rope, and for a moment his faint heart sank, for it gave easily in his grasp. Momentarily he thought the knots had given way. Then he realized with relief that the material was only stretching under his weight. He pulled himself up the wall, bracing himself against it and in a few minutes felt the outstretched hands of Alden helping him over the parapet. His gaze, turned downward to the water he had just quitted, showed what seemed myriads of tiny, shining points. He realized with a shudder of disgust and loathing that those points were the eyes of the horrors that had waited for him to slip, to fall, that they might crowd in upon him, pull him beneath the slimy water, and tear the shrinking flesh from his bones. Dry clothes, first of all 
the occultist exclaimed as he felt himself safely on the parapet. But... You must trust me, Alden. I know what I have to do. I cannot go before Guy Fane, a dripping scarecrow. Where would be my dignity, the lofty impression that must surround me like an aura, if I am to make the right impression upon him? I have another mental and other clothes in my room. Also, I cannot go in my stocking feet, the little man declared decidedly. Alden, who would have run at once to the chapel, was obliged to wait for Cogliostro. While she waited, she remembered the pistol Luke had given her. She put it in her apron pocket, a grim look about her mouth. When the occultist emerged from his room, he looked the part of the serious magician he wished to appear, until he let the mantle drop from his face, when the absurd button nose and the squinting pale blue eyes somewhat dulled the new dignity that drew the lines of his cupid's bow mouth into something strange and hard. "'The master's study,' he said tersely and led the way. Behind the screen he showed Alden a switchboard with fifteen buttons. "'One of these operates the draw,' the little man said. "'I think it is the first one.' "'If you don't know, why do you touch it?' cried out the alarmed Alden, catching at his hand. He shook off her restraining touch imperiously. The next moment he had pressed the first button. She strained her ears to hear the creaking of the drawbridge, but there was no sound to break the night's silence. Cagliostro shook his head, his brow scowling at the switchboard. Then he deliberately put his hand over and pressed the second button. Alden's wrinkled face whitened. Then she uttered a soft exclamation. The draw! The second button was right. The way is open. The chapel next, commanded Cagliostro brusquely. He strode on ahead of Alden, who could hear him muttering to himself. Now what could that first button have been? The occultist kept asking himself aloud in perplexity. To Alden, he addressed one more observation. Keep close to the edges of the corridor, he said warningly. She understood, shuddering. Perhaps the first button had opened yawning traps that would let them down into black gulfs when they stepped upon them. Perhaps. Perhaps that first button had meant that Fainwald would fly up into the air, carrying them all to sudden death. As if this thought had gone home to him also, the occultist now exclaimed, Let us run. If we can get there in time, perhaps we can... He let the sentence go unfinished as the two of them, careless of what that first button might have done in the way of opening trap doors begin to run through the winding halls. End of chapter 12